Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Good morning, First Prez family. I'm Elder Sam Rumba, and uh, my heart this morning is full of gratitude and full of joy to be back here with you in person. (laughs) I'll be back again more regularly very soon, Um, sitting right there in my pew. I think I can see Karen there. Um, uh, Where we've sat for the last three decades. Um, with my family now, it's only two of us, and, but we all used to sit in that same place. I have my last eye surgery this month, uh, probably on Thursday, and then things will get better after that. But it's been a tough fall season. I wouldn't be telling you the truth if I said it wasn't. Um, and I mentioned this to Brother Jim Johnson when he reached out to find out what was going on with me. One of the highlights of my time at First Church is this combined service with our brothers and sisters from the Brooklyn Heights Synagogue and um, the divine music from our combined choirs. What a treat. And I'm full of gratitude for being asked to preach Uh, When Connor uh, asked me uh, to preach, I was full of gratitude, gratitude and fear. (laughs) Uh, You see, (laughs) Friday evening, um, my sister, Dr. Janet Bell, was talking to me, and she said, oh, you're preaching, and I'll make sure that I'm there in person, and I'm looking forward. And uh, my reply was that that fills me with delight and terror. (laughs) And the delight is obvious, but the terror was puzzling. So she said, what's this terror about? And so I said, let me tell you a story. I have a friend, a colleague, who told me that his friend, another colleague, another law professor, was asked to uh, speak at another law school and the subject was uh, water rights, you know, rivers, lakes, that kind of thing that I know nothing about. And when the friend arrived at the school to speak, uh, he was welcomed, and as he rose to speak, uh, his host whispered in his ear, and he said, we love that you've come to speak to us on, uh, on water rights. Um, But as you talk about rivers and lakes and water, let me warn you, Noah will be in the audience. (laughs) Please pray with me. (laughs) We know from Dr. King's own words that at the center of our faith is this conviction 
that in the universe there is a God of power who is able to do exceedingly abundant things. The God whom we worship is not incompetent or weak. He's able to beat back gigantic waves of opposition and to bring down prodigious mountains of evil. The ringing testimony of our faith is that God is able. Now, the full title of my meditation this morning is A Way Out of Norway, Reflections on MLK and the Civil Rights Movement at Dr. Paul's Presbyterian Church. A Way Out of Norway, that title I got from an autobiography by one of our friends and Dr. Paul's partner in crime, Andy Young. And the title is A Way Out of Norway, and he autographed a copy of, my, uh, of, that, uh, of that book. And it's a lovely book. If you haven't read it, uh, try to get hold of it. Um, it is the experience of the black church, by the way, that particular phrase, A Way Out of Norway. And it is also the title now of um, uh, the Reverend Dr. Senator Raphael Warner, who's uh, the successor to Martin Luther King uh, Jr. at Ebenezer uh, Baptist Church, and is still the pastor. And actually, right now, I believe the president is speaking there this morning. Um, so, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., who was he? There are so many views of who he was, some contradictory, some totally foreign uh, to who he was. But thinking about who, who was he, I, what came to my mind was uh, there was a Ugandan bishop, a very prominent Ugandan bishop. His name is Bishop Festo. He died a few years ago. Uh, Festo Kivengeri. He preached all over the world and very often traveled with Billy Graham, but he liked preaching on university campuses, and he liked uh, interacting with young people. And one day, I think it was a university campus in England, and this young man walked up to him after he had spoken, and he said, I hate Jesus. And Bishop Festus smiled and said, why don't you let me tell you about him so you can hate him intelligently? <laughs> so let's try to find out who King was. I learned about, I got to know of Dr. King as a child, as a young person. Uh, television came to Uganda in 1964, and um, I was in primary school, and it gave us... Uh, an amazing window into King's work and the civil rights movement. They became household names, not only in Uganda, but all over the world. Um, and so we got amazing insights of this saint and the civil rights movement. Uh, now, 
I'd like to talk a little bit about the global king, because in fact, uh, Dr. King was a global hero, and so was the civil rights movement. And he became our hero all over the Africa, all over Africa and all over the world. And people, other heroes like Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Tutu would tell you that Dr. King and the civil rights movement were their inspiration as they strove for liberation and freedom. And they, he became uh, the hero of all oppressed people all over the world. And though many Americans don't know this, MLK went global, and I talked to you this blessed uh, King Sunday morning as a grateful member of that global king. Now, we of the rest of the world came to know well heroes like uh, Dr. King and about the civil rights movement, and we got to know very well people like Andy Young, the Stokely Carmichael's, the Ralph Abernathy's, and so on. But for the life of me, I never thought for one moment that I would ever meet any of these people in person or in the flesh. Until soon after we arrived in this great city and we stumbled on First Presbyterian Church. I had arrived six months ahead of uh, Karen and the kids and had been looking for a church all over this city, or Brooklyn, I went to Manhattan, I went to a lot of churches, and I didn't quite find a church that was anything like our wonderful church in Australia. And I was about to despair, but when Karen arrived, they're the ones who discovered this church, who were then living on two pier ponds. And so this church was a stone's throw. So I was looking, but this place was just under my nose, and I never thought about it. And Karen and Luke uh, walked down Henry Street and found First Church. And they came back and told us, the rest of the family, announced we found our church. Uh, the minister was in the civil rights movement. And on and on, they told us a lot of wonderful things about this place. And the following Sunday, the rest of the family joined them, and we arrived here. Dorothy Gill was at the door, and the rest is history. Here we met the greats, the veterans of civil rights struggles in person. People like Dr. Paul, or Minister Emeritus, uh, who's, by the way, this morning is preaching uh, King Sunday service at the National Cathedral. And um, if you get a time later, you can actually watch that service. Uh, it's available online later. So Dr. Paul, Andy Young, Arthur Ashe, who used to sit, I think, on that side, on our side of the church, um, Derek Bell, and now Elder Janet Bell. All these icons we met under this one roof of 124 Henry Street. 
Now, Dr. Paul was hard at work when we arrived here 30 years ago. Uh, but First Church was not quite like what you see today. It was different. Those of us who remember all those many years ago know that a lot of work went into what we now have. Um, there were a number of things that were different. Uh, like the music. I'll say a little word about that in a moment. The sound system was terrible. <laughs> the place was dark and dingy. And uh, I think you remember when Chris Nuna, uh when we got the new lights and uh, uh, he played on a biblical theme. <laughs> he said, uh, the people who dwelt in the darkness have seen a great light. I think you know that from, uh, from your scripture. But it was different. So much has happened that, then. But let me talk about the choir. The music was way too traditional. Oh, by the way, the membership of the church itself was a lot wider, a lot older, and a lot more conservative. And so Paul had his work cut out for him. Uh, the music was traditional, and I have nothing against traditional music. I'm actually very ecumenical when it comes to music. Uh, as long as it's um, uh, a wonderful representation of its genre, I don't mind. But you can't only have one, uh, one diet. And so we had a very traditional music, and it was very white as was the choir. Now, around that time, some of the black members of the church decided to form a gospel choir. That's what they called it. It was all black. They used to stand right there in front. And oh, there was one token white. I think it was my sister, Jane Francis. Uh, I think she was the only one in that group. <laughs> Yeah, and my wife Karen was in it, my daughter Claire was in it, uh, and a number of other uh, people. And uh, Paul almost caused a riot because he said, I'm not having it. We are not going to have two choirs, one white and one black. You have to fuse, you have to join together. And it was tough, it was a tough uh, thing to pull off. But, as it turns out, he was right. And then Amy came along. He used to sit right there and watch. And eventually he, she took over the choir, and you can see what we have. And it was Dr. Paul who said, actually, Amy's not a choir director. She's a minister of music, because she's a minister. And, and, and the choir know this, but even those of us uh, who watch know a little bit about that. That's a glimpse of what I saw of the civil rights movement at First Presbyterian Church. Now, I said earlier that we stumbled on First Church at Henry Street, but in truth, we didn't stumble on it. I don't believe in that. I believe that God guided us here to this beloved community. It was God's hand earlier 
that guided our refugee family in Australia to a wonderful biker church uh, whose minister, uh, John Smith, actually, and Glenna Smith, uh, visited us here, and Paul invited them here in his pulpit. And um, they spent a week with us. It was Christmas, New Year season. They were wonderful friends of ours. And that biker church was incredible. You look at people on motorbikes, and you may have certain stereotypes. But I'll tell you, this was an amazing family. Uh, Karen was an elder in that church. And we had the chance, some of us, to cause what John Lewis calls good trouble. A little good trouble. And um, our pastor, this is how we came to find out about that church. Our pastor, uh, Dr. John Smith, used to preach on university campuses and loved to mix it up with students and faculty. And that's how our paths crossed. And when we found out about his church, very early, by the way, uh, soon after we arrived in Australia, I think Karen and I were 29 years old at the time. And um, uh, Smithy was not only, as we called him, was not only engaged in the work of justice, but he was a fantastic friend. Smith and Glenna were, and our family and their family were the best of friends. Uh, my only objection to uh, John Smith was putting my daughter on his motorbike uh, because John could be accident prone. But apart from that, we were um, wonderful friends. Uh, Claire was five years old when we joined that church. Matt and Luke were not born yet. They were born in that biker church. The love we received there were the only people of color in that working class white church. And you'd imagine that maybe that's, that doesn't seem to make any sense, but it did. Now, while we were at that church, we tried to join with Smith to do what we believed was the work of the kingdom. And we believe that we are here to do that. That's why, by the way, I love Jesus' words from Scripture that we read uh, beautifully. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus talks about his mission. We sometimes used to call this the Nazarene Manifesto. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord. And of course, he was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And as I often tell my um, evangelical friends, Jesus was not only Jewish, but in fact, he was in the tradition of my favorite prophets, the Isaiahs, Jeremiah, and Amos, and Hosea, and we can go on and on, that a lot of my fellow evangelicals don't have a clue about. But he was talking about doing things. And um, in the second reading, which is from Matthew, uh, we see John the Baptist in prison, and I think he was probably depressed, uh, 
because he was facing execution. But he said, he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, go ask him, are you the one? Are you the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus did not say, yes, I'm the one. He said, go tell John that the blind see, that the lepers are healed, but above all, that the gospel is preached to the poor. That was his signature. I think our faith is not just about believing. I love John's gospel, and I know it opens with, within the beginning was the word. It sounds very Greek to me, but Connor can explain that better than I, I can. Um, but in, in, when you look at Luke and you look at the scripture we've seen, what comes to mind was in the beginning was the deed. Faith without works, the Bible tells us, is dead. So, I'd like to give you a glimpse of the work of the kingdom that we did together in Australia in our wonderful church there. Um, but before I do, I'll just give you a couple of, uh, just a couple of comments. Uh, my friend who's, who makes, who's doing the commentary, Steve Drury, uh, said that I lecture state judges. I actually don't. <laughs> I think he got that impression from a video I uh, featured in, which was intended to uh, uh, give some guidance to federal judges. I never had anything to do with state judges uh, on scientific evidence. And uh, that video featured at one of the uh, annual conferences of the Second Circuit. Um, so that's probably what, where he got the impression. Uh, the second quick comment was there is a reference to Caroline Jones from the ABC. Caroline Jones was one of the um, most prominent uh, talk show hosts. And the ABC in Australia, by the way, is like the BBC of Australia. It's a government-funded uh, 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 network. And the Australian Broadcasting Corporation is actually like BBC rather than a private company. And then there is a reference to Senator Michael Tate, who was the Minister of Justice in both the Hawke and Keating Labour governments. Those governments were actually the longest running uh, Labour administrations. I think among the longest running, I haven't checked my history, but uh, Bob Hawke was in power, I think, for two terms, and then he was succeeded by um, Paul Keating, uh, one of his wonderful friends. And so Senator Michael Tate was very friendly to our work of justice, and um, he was very helpful to our mission. Um, so with the, those just few comments, um, let me uh, let you view the clip that gives you a very quick uh, impression of what we did. I will <laughs> 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 
Good afternoon. Um, it's a full house. I hope it's not a tough crowd. So, uh, Steve Derue is my name, and I'm going to speak about a 10-year period from 85 to 95, uh, pre-internet, pre-social media, and where I guess we worked, I, I think we used to say we worked in real time, but um, I hope that this context uh, of that 10 years will try and encapsulate something of effort and risk and cost and reward uh, in, John's, in John's ministry and the team that surrounded him at that time. So I am speaking in the context of that 10 years and some of this obviously is past, uh, past tense. I want to start with some other people's words. Um, Senator Michael Tate was the Minister for Justice under the Hawke and Keating governments. And he said, I can think of no other Australian who has earned the admiration and respect of so many in spite of constantly challenging the assumptions and practices of their lifestyle. I'll mention more about Senator Tate later on. Uh, Carolyn Jones from the ABC said, John's attunement to Australia today and the authenticity of his teaching from personal experience make him an inspiration for our nation today. Professor Sam Marumba, who's now at the Brooklyn Law School in New York um, and regularly lectures the New York State Judiciary, said, at Monash University, where I taught law for the last 13 years, I watched with amazement the Alexander Theatre fill up to standing room only in session after session of John Smith's incisive discourses on education, rational inquiry, faith, justice, love, integrity, compassion, relationships, etc. 
Three people in this room had a role in saving John Smith and Martin Newman's life. One night, Shirley Osborne phoned me from the Philippines. She'd made it back to Manila from Mindanao, where John and Martin had been arrested for taking part in a demonstration against the bulldozing of poor people's families. The local militia stated that they would be executed the next morning. I think John and Martin spent a restless night. Shirley was getting very little help from the officials at the evangelism conference in Manila that they were all to attend in the days ahead. Uh, my first call was to Hank Petrusma, who is here, who ranked Senator Michael Tate. I cannot confirm, but I believe our government got involved. Um, I rang Reuters and the ABC to raise media attention. But the next phone call I received that night came from the leader of the Australian delegation to that conference in Manila, asking us not to risk the reputation of their conference. I believe we ignored their request. <laughs> By morning, it was essentially an international incident and the story was in international media. The work of Bob Geldof and Bono influenced a UK charity to advocate for prisoners of conscience. Jubilee campaign asked John to speak at the UNHCR in Geneva. To brief John, we enlisted Senator Michael Tate, Brian Burdekin and, and Professor Sam Marumba, a human rights lawyer. John prepared meticulously and spoke for 20 minutes. Um, the Human Rights Commission took up the case with the offending government and the people were released. That was actually John's funeral, which we couldn't attend, but um, Glenna Smith uh, sent us the, uh, the recording, which is, the full recording is like an hour and something. And um, I, uh, I just wanted to play some snippets and, uh, and Chris did a masterful job of, um, of editing that. Uh, Steve Drury, by the way, is a journalist and we we're very lucky uh, to get him to work with us and um, he was extremely helpful. Uh, but finally, what I see as the essence of Dr. King's work was the beloved community. Uh, it is also the mission of First Church. Uh, take a moment sometime, if you haven't, uh, to read the mission statement. This <laughs> is at the back of the bulletin that you get every Sunday. It opens with the words, First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn is an intentionally inclusive and diverse Christian community committed to serving God in the world. Uh, those words are not an accident. Uh, I was actually on the committee uh, that drafted them and it was wonderfully chaired by two of the wisest people in this church, and that's elders Jane Quinn and Richard Green. So we worked on this, and uh, take a moment uh, to have a look at it if you haven't. But that's our commitment, uh, radical diversity that is also intentional. In conclusion, I believe that the beloved community is indeed uh, what should be the aspiration of nations as well. And um, 
On that note, let me give you an amazing Brooklyn boy in Congress, and then I'll sit down. Our diversity is a strength. It is not a weakness. An economic strength, a competitive strength, a cultural strength, our diversity is a strength. It is not a weakness. We are a gorgeous mosaic of people from throughout the world. As John Lewis would sometimes remind us on this floor, we may have come over on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. We are white, we are black, we are Latino, we are Asian, we are Native American. We are Christian, we are Jewish, we are Muslim, we are Hindu. We are religious, we are secular, we are gay, we are straight. We are young, we are older, we are women, we are men. We are citizens, we are dreamers, out of many, we are one. That's what makes America a great country. And no matter what kind of haters are trying to divide us, we're not going to let anyone take that away from us, not now, not ever. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.